about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. When you hear that laugh, it's time for the Worst Gig Ever podcast. I am Mike Pace. I'm Jeff Garlock. And we are talking with musicians, comics, entertainers about the worst shows they've ever had. So you know this is the place to hate on the worst stories you've ever heard. Because what is better than hating on And things? what is better than that sentence I just said? You know what's so better elegant. than that? Justin Williams, That's our right. guest today. Our guest, Justin Williams, is a New York-based comedian he is also a professor of african history at an unnamed college in new york the guy's well balanced but well balanced in his gigs too he's he's, he's done some amazing shows and some amazingly bad shows yeah he tours all over the country but he brings it even back to uh near the studio to queens he deals with locals he deals with his stuff this guy is like the indiana jones of comedy he is exactly like the Indiana Jones of comedy. I can't wait till we see the movie. I would say that, and I would also say that Justin has a comedy DVD out called Black and Comfortably Middle Class. And for those of you based in the New York area, he does host a comedy night at the Creek in the Cave called Death Comedy Jam. That is the second Thursday of each month at 10 p.m. So if you want to Get a little live at Justin Williams. A little you, you live You want to get some live. You want to go check that out. You also want to check out some back episodes of Worst Gig Ever available on iTunes, Stitcher. You can find us on Facebook. You can write us worstgigever at gmail.com. You can check out our Tumblr page, worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. You know what you can also do? Check out our individual Twitters. That's right. What's I'm at G Garlock. I'm at, at Mike E. Pace. A lot of love. So uh, let's give some more love, though, to Justin Williams. Justin Williams on the worst gig ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Uh, As a comedian, uh, New York is great because it's a hotbed of stand-up comedy. It's the best place to get a lot of stage time. The problem with that is, is that there are a lot of non-conducive venues uh, <laughs> that that decide to have uh, shows, and uh, I'd say the worst overall show I, I've done is actually still an ongoing show. A very good friend of mine, and um, he kind of runs it as a badge of pride at this point. Uh, <laughs> his name is Charles McBee, and he runs a show at the Avenue Restaurant which is in Glendale, the Glendale section of Queens, which is one of these places where the subway doesn't go. Like, it's not, like, far. Eastern Queens, maybe? Like, by the Uh, Nassau County border? Not that far out, actually. It's actually, if uh, from where we are in Brooklyn, you know, where Metropolitan Avenue kind of goes up into a no-man's land. And uh, it's around there. Oh. And uh, it's one of these places where it takes on, uh, even though it's right in the middle of New York City, and there's neighborhoods that are cosmopolitan all around it, the ones that have access to the subway it's kind of like a conservative part of long island uh uh, put it in the middle of queen 
Queens. <laughs> this particular neighborhood is a very stridently working class Italian neighborhood. And this is kind of their, like, uh, very much the Italian hangout in the Italian neighborhood. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, so you go down to the basement of this place. And uh, as far as I know, no comedian, and the show's been running for about a year, has uh, managed to get to their material. <laughs> really? Uh, especially Charles McBee is a black guy from the Midwest, and so am I. And uh, God bless these people. They're, they're It's weird because they're actually incredibly nice when you talk to them after the show. <laughs> but it's just mostly them yelling racial slurs and other inappropriate things during your Fun. act. <laughs> <laughs> Which, do they just think that that's just like part and parcel for it? They do. You know, because it's one of those places where they, there is no subway. And you get a sense that these are people that even though they don't live far from Manhattan, they don't go to they're Manhattan. They're landlocked. Right. They're landlocked. There's mass transit doesn't go there. It reminds me of like, you know, that place in Chicago, the hot dog place where you go there and they insult oh, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Behind the cat. So it's almost like, you know, roles are reversed and the performer becomes the performee. <laughs> yeah. You're just watching this entire audience perform at you it, and you're it, just taking it exactly it's kind of like it's like punked it's like <laughs> you, you go in and i we had an audience uh when i and of course and it's what makes it even more sad is because you attempt to pander as a comedian you're right. like okay I, I you know so i asked the i asked the audience i go hey where are you guys from you know like originally <laughs> and, and of course they're they're like we're all sicilian yeah. and i go oh my god that's crazy because my dad was from palermo <laughs> goes completely over there. They're like looking at me like your father's not really. It didn't even occur to them that it was a joke. That's right. It. And then they started doing shots of tequila and doing the wave uh, during <laughs> sure. my set. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm just up here. Uh, so it's now become Charles is actually, you know, he keeps looking at. And what's uh, ironic about it is, is actually because when you go to do places, uh, shows in a place like that where there's not a lot of entertainment options, it's actually your best payday right. as a comedian. Yeah. Like I get paid, like I get paid. Which is a plus. <laughs> yeah. I get, I, yeah, I get paid and it's actually really good for, yeah. it's actually a really good rate for, even for a comedian. I actually get paid more than doing 15 minutes there. I right. get paid more than I would get to pay, get paid like eight minutes at Gotham Comedy Club. Wow. So, and, uh, and then when you talk about other shows, uh, I get paid in currency. Uh, talk about worst gig ever. Com- comics, when we do get paid at all, sometimes we're paid in chicken fingers. <laughs> Um, sometimes they're like, <laughs> those are worth their weight to go. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I go, it's great that I'm hanging out in bars all the time. Now I'll just eat free chicken fingers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what, so what, the, this guy's been doing this for like a year? Now? Yeah. Yeah. What, how big is the crowd usually? Uh, it's usually about like 15 people. It's kind okay. of a tight, tight basement space, which is good that it's not a cavernous, right. uh, thing, but it's literally just watching comedians go to war against and an well, audience. It seems like this is opportunity to sort of earn your stripes and kind of in the parlance work on your, you know, do crowd work and stuff, but it seems like the absolute worst case <laughs> right. so like, okay like if you f- pick the most inappropriate audience for perhaps your brand of comedy yeah and let me just just you know throw it against right. the wall and and see what happens yeah this is these are the kind of people i mean as me like i like i'm a black comic and i talk like this and you know i don't do a lot of <laughs> i don't do a lot of stuff that may, they may be expecting a, a black comic you know and they're just like hey when is pat cooper coming now he was good <laughs> Uh, like just in the middle of your set. Right. Yeah. That's see, you know what it is though. There's a f- I have a fascination growing up on Long Island, 
going to school in the city and having lived here for for a long time and the fact that most of the people that we know i'm mm-hmm. just talking collectively have moved here from other places but there are still these pockets of neighborhoods yeah. very close by that i guess you know gentrification hasn't hit is not interested in sure. and that are just this real kind of hardcore like queens Brooklyn, the Bronx. Like, I think even in Greenpoint, there's that little bit. There's those pockets oh, yeah. of like the uh, mentally landlocked, like all the, <laughs> the Polish people who do, who don't leave. Uh, yeah. They just go to the parking lot and then go to Risque Bar Bar and That's Pool. right. For the listener, uh, Risque, a fine establishment. Oh, very fine. Look at his Boulevard in Greenpoint. Uh, but it is indeed. It, there is something weirdly endearing to that fact. Uh, the Metal Club Lemores. Le- exactly. Lemores was like a classic metal club in like. Far, far, like Bensonhurst, yeah. and it <laughs> took like hour, hour and a half on the subway, and then you had to walk like fifteen minutes through warehouses to get to see like death metal, and it was scary because it was just like kind of what it's just like anyone who saw you was kind of like you're not supposed to be here. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah. But I think this is interesting because you were you're born in the Midwest, mm-hmm. right? So you moved here too. Yeah. So you know, and but it seems like there's this idea that. You go back to like 1995 or whatever, and people that lived in Brooklyn were born in Brooklyn. Right. Like they're born and raised. And now you, you know, at least like it's probably in the circles that we hang out with, you know, if you meet, you meet someone's, oh, where are you from? And they're never from Brooklyn. Never. Yeah. Or it's a surprise if they are. Yes. Definitely. And and that's what's like kind of weird about Brooklyn now. It's like Brooklyn now has become like this extended college town, like in yes. some ways. Uh, and so I like so that's why I like I that's why I actually like, like going Bro- to a place Brooklyn like Brooklyn Tech, great school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, uh, Boricua College is what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> we're, all, we're all just students there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good school. The Boricua Tech basketball team is one of the most. <laughs> Those guys, yeah, they're uh, first seed, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so when you're, are you doing, growing up in Kansas, right? So, uh, yeah, I was born in Kansas. I was raised on the Missouri side. Okay. Okay. And, and is, is the comedy bug bit while you're there? When did you come to New York? Uh, I moved to New York, uh, eight or nine years ago, something Mm -hmm. like that. And I originally moved, actually the first place I lived was Suffolk County, Long Island. Cause I actually moved out here to go to grad school out at Stony Brook. SUNY Stony Brook. Yeah. School. Talking his language. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hey, that's considered the, uh, one of, if not the best, uh, state, uh, colleges in New York, SUNY Stony Brook. This podcast is brought to you by SUNY Stony Brook, uh, one of the best colleges. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you were living way out. I mean, for the listener, Suffolk County is is at at the very least an hour, an hour twenty minutes from Manhattan. Yeah, and it was the first exposure to uh, the the dynamic that you see in Glendale is what you see in Suffolk County. These are people that live in New York. The East Coast has been a very interesting social experiment as a comedian because <laughs> I, I like I go, I don't just do shows on the Lower East Side all the time right, and try yeah. to hang out around industry. Right. Like I'm like, hey, there's a mic on somewhere in Suffolk County. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> So, uh, so, you know, uh, when you, the, the groups in the East Coast that are the most opinionated about America are the ones who have never left their front porch. Yes. And, and I found this, this dynamic exists in like central Jersey too. And, uh, Suffolk County is a weird place because the way I try to explain culturally what it's like is like, uh, especially this is not Huntington. This is Stony Brook. It's yes. a town of like 6,000 people, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's like Jersey Shore, but in the middle of a field. 
<laughs> That's fairly that accurate. Sound about yeah. right. <laughs> I can I, and I can say that only because my grandmother uh, moved out there. Uh, she lives in a home out in uh, Setauket. Oh yeah, the listener. We're t- we're talking East End of Long Island, not not Monta. We're not talking the Hamptons. Halfway, we're halfway. Talking, yeah. yeah. Um, there happens to be a great thrift store out there called Selden Thrift in the town of Selden. Oh, okay. which I only discovered you know in the past few years going out to visit my grandmother. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so did, were but were you? Doing comedy while you were out there as well? No, I was doing karaoke. And uh, that's the way. Uh, sure, they, you were. Because they had a great place called uh, the the Velvet Lounge. Okay. Uh-huh. It was like the first place I was a regular performer. I used to sing karaoke at the Velvet Lounge uh-huh. every Thursday night and used to talk it. Yeah. It was connected to the Indian restaurant. Okay. So that was cool. And, uh, but I just never been to a place where, like, you know, the East Coast is weird, uh, especially in the places that are a little bit more. Like, cause you don't really have, you have hillbillies like in Maine, but when you're in the kind of Connecticut, Jersey, Long Island mm-hmm. nexus, mm-hmm. you have like kind of like these bro kind of guys. And it was, uh, like, for instance, so, so these guys, like, some of them have makeup on yeah. and then they have baby t-shirts with like, uh, like, like all these bedazzled stuff sure. right. on it. Right. Right. And, it, and it's Affliction. like. Affliction. Yeah. Affliction. Yeah. Ed Hardy. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, tap out. Their hair is immaculately done. Yep. Uh, they're only hanging out with like four of their boys, you know, who are similarly dressed, you know, they're right. hanging out in like a banana yellow Hummer listening right. to house music. <laughs> and, uh, then they, uh, call you a faggot. Right, exactly, <laughs> and uh, and you go now. Wait a minute, my midwestern version of who gets calls who a faggot, <laughs> right, is completely flipped upside down. Right, yeah, and I and, and it was just Which like is for- why the Jersey Shore was such a fucking popular thing. It's just because I remember when it first, like watching the first like true life about the Jersey Shore. I was like, oh yeah, those people. Yeah, like it's mm. just like I've been you know enamored by that concept as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad someone else is on board. So, but, but how how does like a black kid from the Missouri side yeah. wind up in Suffolk County, Long Island. Like, what do you study? Like, what? Why did you choose to go to Stony Brook? Uh, I did my PhD in African history, and, and I very much enjoy my uh, time at, at Stony Brook. Uh, you know, I lived out there for one year, and then, then I started the, the commute. The commute. I moved. Uh-huh. I moved to Astoria <laughs> and uh, started uh, 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 commuting. But but I but I enjoy my time because uh, Long Island is like a diverse set of places, and each yes. town is its own world. And like that was kind of a cool. Uh, uh, concept because sure. you know because in the Midwest when you go to from town to town it doesn't completely change which continent everybody may have came from right yeah. so you know you had that dynamic you're like oh that's the West Indian town next to the yeah. Irish town right. you know <laughs> and you know they're all kind of small kind of uh, relatively isolated places yeah. but they're completely different so they're cool you know so, so you're studying you're doing karaoke you're getting up in front of the <laughs> stage something's <laughs> clicking and where does the uh, where do you decide the to take the over. music out of the equation. Yeah. Uh, inject the comedy. I came, uh, you know, one of the times when I lived out there, I came to see a show at UCB, and uh, this was like, this was, you know, a while ago, and there was this, uh, some comic I'd never heard of called Aziz Ansari was doing a show. Who's that? <laughs> yeah, who's that guy, right? Still never. Heard of yeah. So he did a show and it was really funny. I was yep. like, this is, this is funny, you know, but it was like, it was cool because I, you know, you have no concept that this is going to be a famous person. Right. And then you watch them kind of like working out stuff, <laughs> yes. uh, at, at, at a, at a show. So that was, uh, so that was one of them. And then the big thing is I went to go see Paul Mooney at Caroline's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, uh, 
his opener, a very nice lady uh, who is in the film Pootie Tang. That's all I can tell you. And, oh, and not, Wanda, not Wanda Sykes uh-huh. or, or anybody, uh, not, not anybody you necessarily would know, but she is prominently in that film for I two seconds. I have watched Pootie Tang a lot. So. I, she's I, a I, featured I don't know extra, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, a featured extra. <laughs> yes. uh, she opened for Paul Mooney, but she was wasted. And she had an <laughs> awful, awful train wreck set in front of this full house. And that was when I decided... I got to start doing comedy because I was thinking, man, if I had a chance to open for Paul Mooney, I would treat this kind of seriously, (laughs) you know? Uh, So, and then I went to the comic strip and like Gotham Comedy Club and uh, I've been performing ever since. This is when you're living in Astoria. Yeah, when I'm living in Astoria, So you've accumulated all of these experiences, East End of Long Island, growing up in the Midwest, and so you already like... The, the the batter is there. It just needs to be. Exactly. Which is a disguise. <laughs> Lay it out, the batter. Now keep going with it. It's good. I'm already in. <laughs> yeah, you're And then so you bake it. <laughs> yeah, so right. You get to Astoria. To get a comedy cake. <laughs> comedy cake or comedy cookies. Either um, or. And, but you ha- now you have a PhD. And so how are you applying the degree? Uh, I'm a history professor. It's my day job. Because here's the thing. Chicken fingers don't pay rent. <laughs> right. I think I was aware that. Are you, what kind of history? Uh, African history. Okay. At Bariquin College, right? Uh, I no. teach it, I, I'm actually the head coach of the Bariquin College basketball <laughs> team. Uh, uh, so that, how, yeah, how do you, so. Where was the balance come in? Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's funny because, uh, history facilitates comedy in so many ways, especially with a professor's schedule. I, you know, I'm lucky I'm full time. You know, I was like, right. God bless it. Somehow. Somehow, I was able to get a full-time professorship in New York City. Yeah, the ultimate no- grift. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah. yeah, because normally, like when you get your PhD, the first job you go, I gotta do North Dakota Tech, right, for ten years right. till I publish like five books, and then sure, you might right. get a call, you know. Um, so I was incredibly lucky uh, to get a uh, to get that gig, and so I, you know, I'm only really working. Uh, I go in the office to work during the day, but I only teach two classes a semester, one mm-hmm. night a week. So literally, so I can still do six shows a week, mm-hmm. and it's not a conflict. And it's also it gives me free weekends. So yeah. uh, I'm on the road uh, quite a bit now during weekends and stuff like that. Fable exactly. catbird seat over you're, here. Uh, yeah, you're grading papers on the plane. You're getting up. You're doing your meet your set for the chicken fingers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> back to the hotel. <laughs> Going back to just something you had mentioned actually a while ago. It's still the stuck batter? in my head. Yeah, the batter. This great metaphor that you came up with. No, the <laughs> yeah, when we were talking about that uh, the, that first worst gig, uh, like how do you feel as a comedian and maybe it 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 it's a different perspective too cuz you've got the day job too that you seem to like mm-hmm. too how do you feel about the whole concept of like paying your dues like doing the work like you know i i, I feel like i hear that aspect about stand up comedy of just like well you got to just get in the trenches and you yeah. know do those shitty gigs and just like and get the people like you know uh angry at you and do the worst thing and do the slug road it, slug it out and slug the it out and for it, years. that's the part that seems the least interesting but i mean how do you feel about how do you just become famous very quickly well no i I don't i really don't think i do think like i just think there i i think that it's not that you have to i think there are just people who are uh obsessed in a certain way i do think you have to do a lot of shows i do think you have to perform a lot but i do think there's also certain people who are just like they're gluttons for punishment Mm -hmm. like they just think that they have to do 20 shows a week and make sure they're the worst shows ever devote uh, themselves to, totally to comedy and work yeah and it takes job. on this kind of masochistic feeling instead of you're just doing kind of what you have to do 
Yeah, I think it's good to strike up a balance. I, you know, I have uh, I have friends that are like that. That are like, I'm gonna go do four open mics every night. Right. And I think it's it's a very important to get on stage a lot. But mm-hmm. I'm like, why? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. The end. <laughs> I mean, because if you start doing comedy more than you live a normal life, then sure. I don't understand what you're talking about on stage. Right. Like I, because I I have to like live life. Right. To talk. Like, yeah. I have to have, I have to go out with women and then have them leave me. So I have a new 15 minutes of material. Right. right. I have to have that happen, you know? Um, I guess I just think in terms of, like, there, like, there are people who would have said that you and I, and possibly us at times, did the band wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, that we should have been fucking doing residencies at, like, doing at whatever, bar whatever, for t- like three months in a row, two sets every night. Like yeah. whatever it takes, and I'm like, I don't really. That's not. That's not the only way. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like there's a masochistic well, edge to some of it. it yeah, because I think it's one of those things where it becomes this contest, and comics of all levels do this to other comics mm-hmm. that you didn't do this, and if you didn't do that, if you didn't do that. Well, here's the way my approach to comedy. Like, I'll do, I'll do anything, and I've lost massive amounts of money <laughs> right. doing. I just came from a losing trip. <laughs> I just came from Canada. I just lost a ton of money. Is there a potential worst gig ever story in here? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, <laughs> it's, it's the funny thing about your podcast is just like the worst gig ever is is uh, like once a week, twice a week for us. <laughs> right. Any of us that perform regularly. Right. I mean, yeah, the Glendale thing is, you know, one of the things. But when you're booking a show, uh, you know, we're in a city that has all these entertainment options mm-hmm. and there's famous people always doing comedy in the city so as an alt show it can be hard to get people there so sometimes yeah you're just uh, you're doing 30 minutes for uh, the lady in the front she's a nice lady (laughs) and and you want the show to go on you know and part and parcel to that and what jeff was saying before is that i mean correct me if i'm wrong it seems like you're in sort of a unique situation where you have this prestigious job i mean it's not like you're cooking the chicken fingers during the day, you know, to, to get by. Um, so, I mean, I'm curious if if the opportunity presented itself with comedy um, to make that a full-time thing, does that, would you would you err in that direction or more, you know, as opposed right. to all the work that you've put in to get the, the, the PhD and, and the professorship? Professorship? Yeah. That's what yeah. it's called. Professorship. That sounds nice. <laughs> you can see that. Yeah. I, <laughs> Professorship. I've got my BA. <laughs> right. um, like, is it, would you ever consider putting the, the academia on hold and pursuing the comedy if it presented itself? Um, the, the great thing is I, I love what I do. And, you know, African history is cool because I'm a black guy and it's, it's like just an excuse to go to Africa. And, <laughs> right. and then it's also like you just get to write about like, because Africa is just so, Africa is probably the most misunderstood set of places. I'm assuming you've been there a few times. Uh, yeah, I'm getting ready to make my second trip to the Republic of Ghana and I'm, and I'm go- maybe going to Nigeria. So we'll see what happens, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, by August. Right. But as, as uh, a comic, you kind of can't do that just yet. <laughs> But that's, it's funny because that's actually the kind of new frontier comedy going so global now. Uh, it's like, if, you know, it's like I'm doing these shows here, but as like, anytime I go somewhere like that and go, I'm from New York, they're like, well, come headline this stadium. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? So like, and that was the way it was in Canada. Like I was instantly bumped up to a headliner and the show became like this New York themed show. And it's just right. like, it's just me. <laughs> right. Um, First of all, just as a side note, I've always wanted to go to Africa. My mom went to Ever Namibia since you got towed last out. year. Ever, well, Africa. To, to, song Africa by Toto. But my grandparents were 
world travelers in you know the 60s and 70s, and they went to they did a number of trips to Africa. They went to Ethiopia, they went to Tanzania, uh, Nigeria, and uh, you know took these amazing photos. I mean, they went on tours. You had to go on a tour at that time. Yeah, um, you couldn't just go by yourself. To, sure, you know Ethiopia in 1972. Uh, but ever, that's like, like the revolutionary period, right? Serious, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, they always had they had my my grandparents had a room in their house, like my grandfather's office, where he'd blown up a bunch of photos to like eight by eight by ten glossy size, Ooh. sort of, and mounted them on the wall from all of their trips. And they had all these amazing photos, specifically from Africa, of um, you know, and you know, safari and stuff like that. But I I always remember there was a photo of a, an Ethiopian kid with you know distended belly and and. Um, his penis, you know, he wasn't wearing what? pants. Uh, but so when my grandparents went there, you know, and they wanted to, you know, they were giving coins to the kids, and the kids did not want the coins. They just wanted, like, uh, treats and uh-huh. snacks yeah. and stuff. I don't know. It's just a little, little, <laughs> little humanistic note on the show here. We don't, we don't get sentimental very often. But... <laughs> But we know. did just, that. What else am I going to tell that story? Yeah. I <laughs> so I went for. So I'm you're, very you're, envious. Wait, uh, you might have an African band. Yeah, I think. Are you, isn't your next guest uh, Lady Smith Black Mombazo? Oh, That's God, I next wish. musical guest. Oh, <laughs> Homeless. Um, so anyway, I'm very envious of the fact that you're getting. When are you going to Africa again? Uh, August. Uh, so I'm going to go for a couple of weeks. Uh, to, you picked the right time of year seasonally to go to. Well, I like when it gets too hot in New York. I like to go to West Africa <laughs> to cool down. Right. Yeah, a smart move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but but, I, but to answer your core question, I, I I didn't get quite get to it. But I, like I I love history uh, because uh, I I love it. Period. And I, I and and if that's all I ever did for the rest of my life, which is I will be doing it for the rest of my life, yeah. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But what's great about it is is that it, it does give me the flexibility to do show business on my own terms. If show business means that I have to uh, move to L.A. to play a porter. On right. some sitcom or something like that. Right. I don't, I'm, I'd rather just be a professor than do that. But if I'm allowed to like do something, my own creative projects and pitch those, right. and maybe nobody will ever pick them up. But you know, that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in doing comedy anyway. Yeah. So it's, it just allows me to do it on my own terms, you know? Well, it's, it sounds, it's, it sounds like you really like, as opposed to some other people that we've, that we've spoken to who are like in it to win it kind right. of like, we'll do whatever it takes that you, you're really grounded in terms of, because you also have this great thing that you do that is your passion in addition to your passion about comedy. So you have to get so sweaty about it. Yeah. And like in that whole, like you said, just like, I just got to, if I get this and I'll get this next thing. And so, yeah, I'm going to go out of my, you know, get, you know, live in a shitty place and fucking just deal with getting, you know, waiter number two, maybe if I'm lucky. Well, here's the thing. I, uh, I grew, I've been poor a lot growing Uh up. So that's so. There's no sex appeal in being poor as right. an adult, right? Uh, and then, uh, and the second thing is, I, I it's not really like a competitive thing. Like I like stand up comedy shares a lot with pro wrestling, mm-hmm. and as a lifelong pro wrestling fan, oh well, you're talking to two right here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you do not want to be Mickey Rourke and the wrestler, <laughs> right? Right. I want to be like Tito Santana. I want to be a star just big enough. I like I had a name for a little bit and then I retired and sent my kids to Princeton. Do you know what he's doing now? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a his teacher, kid. right? Yeah, he's he's just living a normal middle Chico class. Tito Santana. He's doing <laughs> wow. uh Tito Santana, by the way, part of the in my opinion, the lamest named tag team of all time. Yeah. Strike Force. That was with, pretty bad. With Rick Martel before he became the model. 
Rick Martel. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad. That was bad. That was uh, a bad name. But I, it's funny because we we've had um, some wrestling people on the show before, mm-hmm. and we're I've, I've I, as someone who's always been fascinated by wrestling, and as someone who comes from spending a lot of time touring and bands, and and the connections, the correlations between being in a touring band and being a pro wrestler. It's interesting to hear the comedy wrestling analogy. Yeah, we haven't really gotten there. Yeah, and it's um, and it's the same thing. Like a lot of comics, you know, talk about worst gig ever. I like, I don't like dealing with a lot of the because comics. Some of them have like these really problematic personalities. Like it's a really shitty business. It's an awful industry. It's it's the exploitation is really bad, right? Yeah. Yep. And so uh, I just don't like it when comics try to pass that on to each other. Right. So that, that's why I was kind of I, I came in a little bit angry today because I deal with things like you know getting a text message 40 minutes into your show saying is it canceled <laughs> like no we're uh now we're doing it right now uh, oh. is this a text message from from a friend of yours who wants fr- to come to the show no 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 from someone that was booked to perform on the show and then be like well i can't make it oh. well well thank you for canceling well just 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 cancel right like, and that you know we promote it for a couple of days right. or, or doing things that uh you know like doing just all kinds of shitty stuff coming like stopping in on a show and then uh, and being late and then going and doing your time and then just leaving. Right. Uh, like, especially because it's OK. There has to be some kind of pecking order, like because the people that do these kind of things, like it's OK uh, to use to go back to the wrestling metaphor. Like if you're Hulk Hogan, you get the you drew money. So you yeah. get to drop the leg. Right. And then you get to walk out. Right. But this is like the Brooklyn Brawler coming up. <laughs> And telling you what kind of spots he wants to do right. backstage right. and all this stuff to like Shawn Michaels or something like that. <laughs> right. And then just like breaking out. Well, you didn't draw. No one paid. No, there's no Brooklyn Brawler t-shirts. Right. Yes. Why are you trying to dictate? And it's always these people that don't. And then these are the same people that when they get booked on a show will get on stage and crap on how many people aren't there. Right. And they and I'm like, well, your name was promoted all over this. So maybe yeah. you should be better at drawing well, people. I did. That gets in for even watching that, like watching people like either like complain about people not getting it, complain about the crowd. Yeah. Uh, well, let, I also just as yeah. the drop in. Th- I, I brought it up before, but the last open mic I did at the Creek, I was getting I was going insane with that because yeah. it was one of those like everyone can go up, but it, there were there was another show going on upstairs and people just kept wandering down and being like, "Hey, can I get in there?" So then it made it where I got there at eleven and went on at one forty in the morning. Yeah, because yeah. there would just be people just being like, "I'm going to do five and then leave," and I was just like, "Cool, it's just getting longer." Yeah, so, just to his credit, the Brooklyn Brawler was always the company man. Oh uh, yeah, he was always let's just give line for WWE. But I I think it's interesting because we haven't talked a whole lot about this with other comedy guests on the show, but. Outside of of getting on stage and performing, mm-hmm. clearly you're booking the or you were you know this this particular show you're booking. So why don't you talk about just some of the pains in the ass that that the things that the audience isn't seeing that you right. have to deal with that is causing all this agita, like booking, putting the show together, finding the venue, getting all the all the comics, promoting it, all of this stuff. Because this is. I just want to give a little background if if people aren't aware of like all the other stuff yeah. that you're doing in addition right. to actually your to your material. Yeah, I'm lucky. I don't have to deal with a lot of business uh, type stuff uh, because uh, our show is a monthly at the Creek in the Cave. And what's it called? Uh, it's it's called Death Comedy Jam, not Death Comedy Jam. <laughs> Russell Simmons, Death Comedy Jam. Pull the lawyers back. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so it's the second Thursday every month at ten o'clock. And the owner of the Creek's been really good uh, with us and. Uh, 
that, you know, we've, we've had a good following and everything like that. So I, so there's never any pressure on them because a lot of times what we deal with is venues that say, well, if we can't squeeze every dime out of your show, right. then, then we'll get rid of it or right. something like that. I don't, so I don't have to deal with those kind of pressures, but, uh, the things I have to deal with is just like, like comics. Yeah. Like, and just their awfulness. Which is the worst part of stand-up, which is the, the comics. <laughs> which is the worst part. No, 90% of them are great. And, right. and, and I would never complain about, like, if Judah Freelander was like, I, hey, can I do five minutes and then bounce? That's sure. fine. But if you're, if you are just, if you've never, because especially because we book it as a showcase show, not an open mic. Right. If, if you're getting showcased for the first time, uh, and then you're like, oh, I can't stick around and right. stuff like that. Or you show up 40 minutes late and then demand to go up immediately. He goes, what is wrong with you? Right. Yeah. You know, right. and especially these are people that don't draw. And then they're, and they're, they're people, especially they're people that don't book shows. So they actually, they, they, they're non-contributing. Right awful they're leeches yeah. they're leeches yeah. and you know this is this is this is a, a difference between music and comedy i think in that part of putting a show together uh on the music side is that this there's equipment involved you know the yeah. bands are lugging all of their shit there so by the time they get there it's very rare if you're like okay we're loading in we're playing we're leaving because that's a that's a real dick move right and if you're a band yeah you're, you're, you're part of the thing ideally the, the, yeah. the show has been crafted around the bill you stick it out because you've schlepped all your stuff there so now you don't want as opposed to you're just showing up you don't have anything right with you you know you, you don't have a, an entourage um you don't have equipment you don't have a van you know so you're just showing up so it's as I can understand why someone would have that shitty mentality well, cause you're also, because there's nothing, you know, yeah. they just have to get there's no like uh, uh, material commitment. Right. And you're get. I'm assuming you're getting the 10 percent who are paying the ass are uh, one of the reasons they got into stand up is because they can do it alone. Yeah. And be dicks, like, because they're probably just pricks in real life. Well, and the thing, you know? is, and the thing is, is there, oh, and, and, and that doesn't, that didn't even talk about the no call, no shows. Right. And now the thing that's universal about these, these are all people that ask to do your show. Of course. Yeah. Right. Be because they don't draw anything. Nobody's asking them. So I'm like, why would you ask me to do, and then they'll even follow up. Sorry, I didn't show up, man. Right. Um, can I do the next one? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's you not... got your chance. And that was yeah. it. There's... Yeah. No that's... chance. Like it's not. Hey, look, I don't claim to be booking the Apollo, but sure. that's not the way any venue works. Right. Like you, even just... though you got your stump on the side of the stage we... for well... people to rub before they go on. We do have a Sandman. Uh, <laughs> but 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 yeah, that's not the way that those uh, things work. So it's just it's just infuriating because it's all these people like kind of like hitting you up. And then just like not doing just the basic things. And then they wonder like why then they, you know, they, all they, all their whole Facebook feed is all this comedy stuff. Yeah. Cause I don't post about comedy on Facebook because nobody now. gives a shit. Uh, nobody outside of stand up gives what, a shit. Arguments on Facebook don't lead to anything. Yeah. Yeah. Care. Nobody cares. Uh, everyone just fucking <laughs> pumping their chest out. Yeah. That's all it is. It's all this posturing and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like, Hey, why don't you do a show right. and then hang out at it? Now, what happens when that show ends is the people that were in the audience will come up and talk to you, and then you can give them your name or your business card, and then you build this thing called a fan base. Right. So for when you have your own show, you can do this thing called sell tickets, <laughs> because this is an industry. And this is all lost on these people that are like, I do 87 shows a night. Right. You know? Right. Well, so knowing the rigmarole that goes into booking the shows, 
Why did you decide to get involved on that side of the equation to begin? I'm, I'm just, what were you thinking? You no, know, yeah. just, just, I mean, clear, it's, it's, there's got to be a passion and a love for it and, and giving back. Yeah. Um, and maybe I answered your question for you. But like putting up with all of this stuff, why are you doing that as opposed to just like you're, you're teaching during the day, you're doing your research, and then you're, you're doing your sets at night? Um, yeah, it's not like the it's, – it's not as altruistic as I just wanted to give back because <laughs> honestly, fuck all you people. Yeah. But uh, I'll, I'll say fuck that mentality too. I hated that in punk and I hate that in comedy. <laughs> of people who are way too sincere and I'm like, I don't buy it. Like yeah. the, I just want to support the scene somehow. I just want to – yeah, I just want to give a piece back and like relax. I get it. No, it's a good thing to be able to give some stage time, sure. whatever it is, and and not and like we our show isn't for its pluses and minuses. People love it. They think it's a yeah. fun show. You know, it's a fun show. Uh, yeah, I've it's, been there. It's a good time. Yeah, a lot of drinking. Yeah, um, yeah because fun. it should be fun. Because stand up's not fun most of the time. Yeah. But so. Um, so it's not so much uh, that a lot of it is like learning how to host properly. Right. You have to be able to just do that. A comedy club's not going to let you just host off the street. This is another thing. You have these comics. I do 87 mics. What do you think they're going to bring you in as a feature performer or a headliner <laughs> without hosting first? Right. So you, if you don't know how to host a show properly, like you can't actually make any money anywhere. Right. So th- that was part of it, getting those skills. And then it's cool networking. It's good to have people owe you favors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You give somebody stage time and they invite you to do this and then you invite them to do that and just build alliances with cool people, you right. know? Yeah. So that, that was a lot of it was stra- uh, strategic. And that's also a way to get your name out there. Hey, yeah. this guy runs that show. So yeah. I get like, uh, the, the people who are the absolute coolest to me are actually comics from out of town. I get messages like, hey, I'm coming in from L.A. I'm coming in from Toronto. Can I get some time? And I'm like, yeah. And, and those people are always amazing and really nice. And so when did you start going on the road? Uh, probably like uh, like two and a half to three years in, mm-hmm. like when mm-hmm. I felt like I had an act. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's another thing. You have all these comics like, uh, I'm going to go on the road. And you're right. like, with what? <laughs> right. <laughs> It's like, it's like, it's like, it's the equivalent, it's the band equivalent of, I, I know one song really right. well, and it sounds a we lot like. We can jam a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Jam for 45 minutes. So, yeah. why, can you pull out another, uh, a worse gig uh, from the road, perhaps? Oh, man. I did the, uh, God bless this place. I was booked on, uh, <laughs> I was booked at, for a show at the Ventura Harbor Comedy Club in Ventura, California, mm-hmm. which is a sleepy seaside beach community and this was and it's a nice club and everything but it was uh it was the left versus right political showcase oh and uh, and and i make fun of everybody so it was like weird being like i was wedged into the i had to be like a hacky liberal uh-huh comedian and i'm like what yeah <laughs> and the the right-wing comedian is this guy named wait uh, did you find out when you got there yeah they were like we're gonna need you to really liberal it up <laughs> And I'm like, dude, I like, I'm not like, cause there's something like, God bless it. I love Bill Maher, but I just find some of his stuff to be just too much sometimes, yeah, you know? It's exhausting. Uh, I go, dude, man, your stuff on religion is so liberal that it's Taliban-ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's insane, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but they wanted me to do that. I'm not really particularly interested in that type of thing. So right. I get up there and I'm like, ah, liberals and conservatives, whatever. The corporations win either way. So, uh, <laughs> That wasn't what necessarily what they wanted, right? Uh, and uh, but the person they booked as like the conservative comic was this guy named Evan Say It, and you can look him up. And he's one <laughs> the of show these. Show's going out to Evan. <laughs> the show goes out to Evan, and God bless his soul. 
Now, Evan is one of these guys that uh, been involved in like broadcasting and stuff like this. Uh, I, I don't know if you, if you guys ever go to the New Media Seminar in New York when they have it for Talker, Talkers Magazine has it. You get to meet you get to meet people like Neil Bortz and uh, Ann Coulter uh-huh. and and Sean Hannity, and you get to meet these people. And it's you you go see you you see these people on TV. And you think, oh, this is the sweetest hustle in the world. I can just tell an audience what it wants to hear and I get right. money. Then you meet these people in person. And you go, holy shit, they believe it. <laughs> these are true believers. They are living on a different planet. Right. This is not an yeah. act. Right. So this Evan Say It guy comes up to me, you know, and just starts saying things about my act, you know. Like, I think it was a particular one thing about how blacks were, but I don't, this, this is how weird, this is how the turn, it just took a weird <laughs> turn immediately. I'm just off stage, like having a beer, and he's like, you know, blacks are better off here than in any country in the world historically. And I go, well, that's nice to meet you, Evan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just and and I'm a history professor, yeah. so I go well. Actually, blacks actually achieved freedom in the Republic of Ghana uh, before the Civil Rights Act was passed, like right. six years. And I told him the story about when Ghana achieved its independence. Uh, Richard Nixon was vice president at the time, right? And he and he goes up to the two black guys at the independence celebration. He goes, "Well, boys, how's it feel to be free?" And they go. Well, we don't know, sir. We're from Alabama. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that just infuriated him. Right. Like, I thought it was going to be like a, ah, kind of thing. No, he like immediately went into battle mode and he started talking about how all liberals hate the Jews because he's Jewish. And I go, well, I don't hate the Jews. Uh, I, I love Jews. I, uh, live around a lot. I live, I live around a lot of Jews and I work with Jews. I, I've dated some Jews. So I, I I've loved, I've, Jews. I've literally loved Jews. And he was just like, no, because liberalism is inherently anti-Semitic. And uh, which is, I, I, that was really hard to wrap my, uh, my head around because, uh, all my Jewish friends are all liberals. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Although there are small pockets on uh, Long Island of conservative, uh, as as a Jew myself, yeah, uh, who is not conservative, uh, I'm reformed actually. <laughs> oh, no, no, and I didn't, I didn't even, but you find I know people who are like you know uh, wealthy Jews, and because they have money, you know, have, lean towards the right, right, so they can keep that money. Yeah, that buddy's powerful. because Jews love money. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> what's going out to choose love and money. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this guy sounds like a real mensch. Oh, he's a lunatic. But and so we were friends on Facebook for a while, and he's one of these guys that puts up these like crazy Facebook statuses about how I think this was right when the Benghazi thing was sure. uh-huh. just had the tax had just happened. It was something about how it was a. Uh, you know they say like these these pundit guys say things that don't make any sense. So I just posted like something questioning. I was like, wait. Who, which conspiracy, like it becomes a conspiratorial thought yes. that doesn't make any sense. Like even with the Benghazi thing, right? It's like, so what, what is the conspiracy with the Benghazi right. thing? Yeah. They're like, they, they covered it up because of what? And I'm like, well, what? And they're like, well, if you don't get it, that's the key. That's the key to the, cons- <laughs> to the uh, conspiracy argument is if you don't get it. Yeah. That's where you start to be like, oh, you're basing this on opinion, not facts. Because when facts get actually thrown in, they have that weird flustered of just like, oh, man, you just don't get it. No, so I, I just posted a thing. And it was kind of sorry. I was just like, can you explain what this status even means? <laughs> right. Like, I know that it's it's against Obama. And so, uh, like, so uh, he defriended me. 
Oh, well, which was uh, which I felt really sad because <laughs> I reached out. I tried to hug him right. when he was telling me I hated Jews in person, and he just would not have. He he was so dedicated to the cause that he couldn't even he couldn't even be a human with me. Like right. I'm like smiling trying to hug him, right. and he just couldn't. You, you know, know. It's, it's weird because I I was thinking about this the other day for no apparent reason. I've never defriended anyone. Yeah. Like, if there's someone who's annoying, I just hide there. Just hide oh, there. I That's do a lot of hiding. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. gotta hide. You I gotta would, hide. Yeah. Guys, I love y'all, but there's a lot of hiding going <laughs> yeah, out there. Yeah, there's no need to defriend. You just, yeah. you just hide. Oh, the caveat to this was this was the first time I'd ever done stand up comedy during the daytime. Oh, what time was this? This was like a six o'clock show. Right. So it's right. just bright outside. <laughs> right. And the entire audience, because it's a six o'clock show, uh, show, it was uh, all 65-year-olds. So it was just a comedy club full of 65-year-olds, and I'm just like this young... And Ventura is not a particularly... I don't know. I think there's a couple of Mexicans. Right. But so this it's is not a, your target market. It's not a target market. <laughs> it's like, do you want to do a show during the day... Uh, full of a room full of like really old white people. Would that, I? That are politically divided. Right. Because the theme of the show is conservatives versus liberals. Yeah. So no matter what you say, half the audience, one guy started yelling at me about Eisenhower or something. And, uh, <laughs> Did they split the audience no. down the middle like at a wedding? No, they just it, have conservative liberal <laughs> or Orthodox style men yeah, on one exactly. side, women yeah. on the other. Yeah, and then there was a Sarah Palin impersonator that went up, and she was really good, but yeah, but, but it was just, still a Sarah Palin. But it was just weird. It was just the whole thing. Were you was able weird. to hand out some business cards after that one? To uh... <laughs> I did. I tried to sell my DVD because there was like it's funny. It's like the liberals were like, you know, you were really right about corporate power or something like that. And I was like, I don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> but did I, you laugh? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I got to get out of here, but. Right. Please uh, take my DVD and 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 they and they uh, I think they liked my DVD. The liberals, they, they, the one guy was waving his finger because uh, he was like, I think he was talking about Obama raised taxes. And I'm like, well, that's just not true. He's actually cut taxes across the board. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. And he's he was very angry. He was very insistent that Obama had raised taxes, even though it's it's fundamentally not true. Right. Well, facts just get in the way. Yeah. Of certain opinions. So, um, I want to go back to. Uh, Missouri for a second. Yeah. Because I have an opinion, and I don't know if this is shared by either of you. No. As someone who spent a lot of time crisscrossing the country uh-huh. in a van uh, for years, Missouri ranks, maybe tied with Pennsylvania, as my most hated state to drive through. Uh, more than Missouri. I, I would say Kansas is my is my Pennsylvania is because Pennsylvania is so big. Pennsylvania yep. is is deceptively large. Yeah, Miz, and I think Missouri just Do because you play, it's, did you play Missouri? Oh yeah, played St. Louis, played the creepy crawl in St. Oh, Louis. Oh St. Louis, I Saint forget Louis, about yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. played in Columbia, the Missouri. Rocket bars. Oh, where'd you play? Where'd you play in Columbia? Mojo's. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a uh, it's like a. <laughs> barn or something that was like converted right. mojos right yeah just uh, just in the right right in the middle of downtown but, right yeah but there's also that place bushes the hamburger place in yes. columbia which is fantastic but i we always because it's so centrally located we just we're always crisscrossing missouri and it was always like brown mm-hmm. and it wasn't and i don't mean that as if like there were brown <laughs> yeah. people around no, the land. in the context of st <laughs> parts of st louis that might be true yeah. but <laughs> so brown out here was, See, whereas Kansas, again, growing up as someone like from Long Island, you know what the East Coast is like. It's pretty much the same until you get past 
um, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. So Kansas, it's fields, it's open sky. Like, I loved it. But Missouri always felt like we weren't quite there yet. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. If you're looking for, yeah, because Missouri is more like, it's it's a little rockier and there's more yeah. hills and bluffs yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So, but if you're looking for like the pristine, like it, uh, land as far as the eye can see, yeah. that's Kansas. Yeah. But that's precisely yeah. why it sucks to drive across. Like if you're going to like Denver or something. Sure, exactly. Because it, you so. just go... I really wish I could see something at yeah. some point because it's right. literally just flat all the way. And even uh, Eastern Colorado is like that until, for like the, the, another two hours. Right. Right. And, you know, but I just I you always forget I how good that. seeing something is. Oh, uh, man. And, and, and the, for ca- driving. And Kansas teases you with this stuff. They go Fort Hayes in four hours. Yeah. <laughs> Fort Hayes in three hours. Right. Fort Hayes in two hours. Then you get to Fort Hayes and they're like, this is it for yeah, That's right. like you see those, those wall drug signs for in South, yep. South Dakota for, for thousands of miles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know, I, but I always love, like, also it was like by the time we got to Kansas or Colorado or whatever, it's like, we're far from home. We're, we're as much on vacation as we are on tour. <laughs> the promise, promise of, the, of West. the West. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Although I will give it up for Southern Missouri, like the Ozarks. See, like um, that is re- it's pr- it's pretty. It's physically like, pretty, yeah. but culturally, Jesus well, Christ. Yeah, it's not <laughs> my, uh, speak Jesus Christ, exactly. Oh, babe. he's uh, a he's uh, a big deal down there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Columbia. We played in Columbia. I mean, you guys. I guess we did uh, in St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, I just forget. I was I was I was melding Montana. Oh, Montana's another deal, which is Montana's I think, is, is not, usually the skip over. I got oh, I have nothing bad to say about Mont- Montana. I love that's a drive. That, that's like the most beautiful place, like in the country, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's, right no, it's beautiful to drive through and not to stop and play well, shows. At. Have you uh, gone back home? Is your family still? Uh, in yeah, my, Kansas City. My dad's lived in Dallas, Texas, uh, for the last uh, uh, since 1979. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so for the last 34 years. That's yeah, he moved there when I was born. Weirdly. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how that happened. <laughs> Happy birthday! Uh, and uh, and so yeah, I I I'll go do shows in Dallas, just kind of just as a way to do shows in Dallas and see uh, him. But I yeah, Kansas City, I go back twice a year, and uh, yeah, I go back and do shows there, and it's great. You know, it's like oh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's very fun. And has your family seen you perform? Yeah, they've all yeah. seen me perform. How's that going? It's good. It's good. Uh, it's, it's fun kind of, cause I have this kind of interesting relationship with my mom uh-huh. to where anytime I know my mom's in the audience, I kind of like to talk a little crazier. Yeah. I like to just like start dialing stuff up. <laughs> right. Like, let me tell you how I was doing it. <laughs> right. Let's get into it. And just look, and just look directly <laughs> right. at her. She, it's inspiring. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. 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 She's uh, number one inspiration. <laughs> So it's good, you know, and it's cool. It's, 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 it's very fun. I, like, I love Kansas City as far as like, the cool thing is traveling the country and stuff like that. I have much more, a bigger appreciation for Kansas City because I've been to so many cities to where I'm like, uh, I like, I like most places for the most part. Mm-hmm. But, uh, for instance, I would much like, a place like Dallas makes me appreciate Kansas City a Absolutely. lot more. Yeah. Dallas yeah. is, for all of our, I apologize in advance for all, to all of our Dallas listeners, not my favorite city. No. Always a bad show. Fort Worth, on the other hand, is amazing. Yeah, Fort, yeah, Fort Worth is great. Yeah, <laughs> Dallas was always a shit show for some uh, yeah. reason. Dallas. Should have been better. Is that what it always felt like? It's just a place. It's 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 the cultural things about Dallas. Like it's like us. They're like we're like L.A. Mm-hmm. Except for uh, we're not liberal. 
We don't <laughs> embrace multiculturalism at all. Right. We're, uh, most of us are Christian fundamentalists, and yep. we don't believe in anything sustainable, and we all have uh, firearms. <laughs> so essentially, the way that we're like L.A. is that it takes a long time to get places in cars. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, what you just, you just brought up an interesting point. I wonder if this pertains to comedy. There are certain cities, and I think it depends on what band you're in, uh-huh. but like Dallas— what, by the way, you have, you have uh, some something on your chin. Oh, thank it's like, you. It's like a long hair. Thank you. Okay, just got there. it. All thank right. you. Okay, it's from my dog. Thanks, <laughs> yeah, Chris. Um, there are certain cities that just yeah, like Dallas was ne- like as a band, as a in in this spectrum of alternative indie rock, yep. whatever. Dallas was never a great city to play. You yeah. might play in. Um, What's the the Denton, which was the college subsidiary town? Oh, yeah, show I've ever University had. of North Texas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But one of the worst shows I ever had that day. Oh, oh, that was oh. that one. I've talked. I was post South South by Southwest. Oh, okay. I was angry. Does, I just stood there pissy. I'm just. I'm wondering. Does this apply to to comedians as well? Are there certain cities, uh, maybe for you personally, where like it just it doesn't click here? Um, because I I would think that maybe the comedy audience. Might be a little. You're going to get more of a spectrum mm-hmm. of people at a comedy show, I right. think, than um, than a than an indie rock show, or whatever. A music, right. you know. Uh, are there places that you find that are more difficult? Um, uh, I, I've had good, very good audiences in Dallas, but mostly because I was performing in the Deep Ellum section, which is like the the hip part sure, of Dallas. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Dallas at the same time can be a very challenging place to perform because the people's cultural politics are so inherently conservative. Right. Yeah. Uh, and also it's one of those places where the, uh, you know, certain cities where it, it, you go to certain cities where people want to want you a certain way and they want to hear a certain thing. They want to hear about those wacky Mexicans. Right. They don't want to hear about how you guys should just shut up because te- Texas is stolen Mexico. Why do you hate Mexicans <laughs> that live in Texas? <laughs> yeah. Why would anyone do that? Like, why would you move to Texas? If you don't want to hang out with Mexicans, move to Manitoba. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to worry about it there. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. So they, so they don't want to hear that. They want to hear about how all the Mexicans are in the same car. So, right. you know, it's kind of that kind of stuff. You know, you deal with that. But mostly just try to be funny. Uh, but there's certain cities that are more uh, embracing than others, right? You can't compare doing a show in Dallas to like doing a show in Portland, right. where like you do a show in Portland, people like, God, they're gonna carry me out in the street. <laughs> yeah. Do you find yourself Portland, Maine? We're and here's another oh, yeah. both, both. Here's another difference. You would, uh, in, as a band, you would never, you would never customize your set for the city. You go out, right. and you play yourself. Do you find yourself? changing i mean if your mother is not in the audience let's say do you find yourself changing stuff up de- depending or and you're not doing a liberal versus conservative show right? yeah that do you change stuff up depending on where you are you think that the stuff audiences might get more than others yeah i try to do well i try to just open to show that like i'm not doing a stock thing that I've, uh, to get the audience in on it like i'll talk about wherever i am mm-hmm. uh, and whether it's talking about the airport or something cultural like so i just i just got back from canada so I made a bunch of jokes about how it's illegal for them to collect our data, uh, and uh, and that healthcare is good there, and then and then a lot of Brett the Hitman heart references. Oh, there you go. See, what I one one tag that I like to do is I like to tell a joke that I go, uh, uh, you know, never pander to your audience. That's one of the first things I learned in show business. Never pander to your audience. You know who told told me that? Brett the Hitman heart. <laughs> So that's what I that's what I that's what I did in Canada. Now when I'm in North Carolina, I go, you know who told me that? Nature Boy Rick Flair. <laughs> Woo! 
and, and and people immediately like it's such a dumb thing but people immediately get on board with yeah, that like right. people be, like pe- like a guy in montreal was like that's right 1996 never forget <laughs> the screw job <laughs> yeah <laughs> the uh yeah uh stewhart's dungeon up in uh, where were they in uh, uh calgary in calgary, calgary alberta that's right the 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 heart foundation the heart family the show goes out to them. <laughs> what's, what's your, what was your relationship with wrestling like? Was it something like as a kid you just were watching WWF or you an NWA guy? Were you uh, – what, what was going on in Kansas City? Uh, well, Kansas City was one of those – historically, it was a hotbed. It was uh, – it was uh, was it uh, – I think it was AWA and NWA territory depending yeah. on who mm-hmm. it was. It was a place where like uh, – Historically, it'd be a place like where Ric Flair would wrestle Rufus R. Jones for an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's right. like like when he was when Ric Flair was first coming up. Yeah, well, for instance, like you know, like Harley Race was built for, as course, being from Kansas right, City, yeah. so he was like one of the kings of that territory as yeah. well. Um, so, but growing up, you know that, that you know coming coming along in the eighties, that was when WWF yeah. started taking over everything, right? And then taking all those talents. Yeah. And so I watched. Uh, I grew up a lot with WWF. But then, uh, living, uh, we had cable. So when, uh, you know, NWA was on TBS and became WCW, the, the Crockett stuff, I yeah. ended up watching a lot of that because the thing was, is that WWF had the best characters, mm-hmm. but, uh, the, the Crockett stuff had by far the best right. wrestlers. So yeah. who were your guys? That you were, that you who were your your main guys. I was a Hogan fan till I got older. Then I was completely was a Ric Flair fan. Yeah, uh, it, like the the Ric Flair period in the late eighties to the nineties. I'm mm-hmm. like, there is nobody better yeah. than this guy at, at, at what he does. But you know, but like you know, when, when I was younger though, you know, you it was all you know, it was Hogan and Macho Man. Of course, right? the yeah. classics. You know, and, the, and Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate with Warrior colors, was my the, uh, was my number one. Yeah, my mom once saw him on the airplane eating a tiny box of Cheerios. Uh, and she did not get an autograph, and I gave her quite a bit of hell. It was, it was actually, probably like the third or the fourth Ultimate Warrior, too, at that point. I wonder if it was an actual regular-sized box of Cheerios. He was just so large. <laughs> that he is that the Ultimate like, Warrior. And he literally is, because he legally changed his name to Warrior, I believe. Yeah, and he's also a, a total uh, right-wing pundit yep. at this time at this point huh? yeah i did a show with him at the ventura harbor comedy oh, really? Club. oh wait was he on that uh no he's, <laughs> he said something about how i hate jews <laughs> and uh <laughs> and then and how when the warrior system aligns <laughs> and so do you, are, do you watch the product currently i did i went to wrestlemania this year you actually did, yeah nice. yeah because it was in you know it was at the meadowlands you know so i go yeah. uh, that was a bucket list thing i was like i didn't think i'd ever get to go to a wrestlemania there's only been 30 of them so right. i went uh went and saw it and uh, i don't you know i don't get to watch it on a daily basis but one of the jobs i would do in show business where it would be a little bit of a thing where i would weigh it against teaching is if i could get a creative staff i would oh, yeah. right. love to be a writer right. uh for wwe are you do you are you friends with matt mccarthy uh, no, no. Just he's it's he's he, you know he was a writer for a year, year and a half. I'm not friends with you, but I was just, yeah. I was listening to his. I think it, like worst kid or uh, worst kid ever. His you made it yeah. weird episode, uh, but talking about the gig and it sounded like both like amazing and yeah, it was something else. It was mind. a different show, right? It, it was yeah. Either way, it was a podcast yeah, featuring was, a guy talking about writing. Podcast. But yeah, it sounds you know it does sound like a pretty amazing yeah. yeah and, Patr- and Patrice O'Neill actually used to write for WWE. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. During the kind of just post 9-11 period right. when they were doing the Muhammad Hassan angles. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. 
and Bob Mould from Husker Du. That's right. They've been <laughs> yeah, a lot. It's it's, it's, a, it's a breeding ground. A it's only ground because if, because of we start doing this and then like you kind of sucked me back in a bit. And also CM Punk, just the concept of CM Punk yeah. as a person who is 34 and still yeah. straight edge where I was like, oh, way to go. With that gimmick, like which he's which he's brought to a wider audience than any band ever. I know. I mean, mean, but it was just so. But then also, I was like, oh, now all of a sudden I'm watching wrestling again. Yeah, I I have a student who is actually interested in uh, hardcore music and particularly vegetarianism within the Mm -hmm. hardcore Uh movement. Is it Jeff Garlock for any? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got a lot of literature uh, if they need from the Animal Liberation Front uh, from back in the day in like ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, this uh, this kid he actually he works uh, he works at Roberta's. So oh really? Yeah, if you ever hang out there, uh, see him. Ask for Kevin. Yeah, Yeah. I I just might have to. Yeah, I got a lot of stuff I picked up from Earth Crisis. That brings up a good point. Do your students know that you do the stand up? uh, one, like one or two have recently found out because right. there's the internet, uh, yeah. apparently. Now, I was lucky because there's other, there's like more famous Justin Williams. There's the NHL star NHL player, and uh-huh. then there's a, some R&B singer or something. Okay. <laughs> uh, so like they come up if you just search Justin Williams. I am, I do have the fortune of being the most famous comedian named Justin Williams. Nice. So when you put in comedian, that, that came, came up. So a couple students found wind of it and they were like, they were like, close the door and they're like, yo, man. Are you like, you know, uh, you like like a comedian or something? I saw like this clip of you on YouTube, man. It was like, it's like funny and stuff. So uh, a couple, no, a couple, no, and then one, uh, one of my coworkers was actually at one of my shows. So the the cat's gonna be out of the bag, but I, I I actually choose not to talk about it because being like the young colleague, I don't want people, you know, if somebody has some kind of agenda or something. Sure. Comedy is this thing now where there's no such thing as context of a performance. Sure. Yeah. So what they do is they take a very damaging sentence, and you, if there's no sarcastic voice in yep. the context of a performance behind it, and you put it in print, it becomes like this incredibly damaging mm, right. thing, you know. And it's and it's like something I'm not famous enough to necessarily warrant it yet. Uh, or to, to fear it, but it's just a good thing to stay away from it. Right, because, you have it in the back of your mind. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that I go, I say things all the time to where if you take it out of the context of that performance, it could be used against me right. to like maybe not give me tenure or something. Right. Like that, so you you're know? not the funny professor. No. Well, <laughs> sometimes I make jokes, but uh, you know, uh, I try not to do like a Robin Williams set, <laughs> like when I'm teaching. <laughs> oh, Africa, Africa. Oh, yes, uh, Tanzania. And he's like. And I was like, oh, yes, yes. I, I can I, understand. I mean, I'm sure as you were, I'll, at least how I was, and, you know, and this was just even temp jobs, but like, God forbid if they found out that you play music uh, or, you know, found out about UCB stuff, but mostly it was music because then it's just like, when can we go see you? Uh, you guys play covers like, or originals. Yeah, exactly. You guys play covers or yes. originals. And it's so hard to explain, especially if you're in like a hardcore or metal band. Yeah. Because they're just expecting, yeah, you're doing covers of like Bruce Springsteen songs in a bar somewhere. And it's just like, I don't want to even explain to you what grindcore means, <laughs> let alone what I'm doing when I'm not looking at you today. Speaking of what a word means, a question that we ask all of our guests to yes. wrap this up full circle. Wrap it up full circle. Can we just wrap perfect, this up full circle? Per- perfect circle. What do you it's a good band. think <laughs> of the word gig? gig? Um, I don't really use it, but because uh, I feel like a gig is uh, uh, something that doesn't involve chicken fingers as payment. <laughs> right. So I don't. So I don't use gig a lot. Uh, I go. I have a show. But I, but I, you know, I, I don't feel like super. 
I don't know. Yeah, if somebody uses gig a lot, like I'd get weird. Right. Yeah. 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 Doing a lot of Unless work. it's wrestling parlance, to gig is to uh, to blade. Yes. Actually. So there you go. That's you what know. it works. <laughs> that's, that, that's what, so anyway, so Justin, a lot of things going on. You got uh, you're, you 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 are so. I love how well adjusted you are for being involved in comedy and having a <laughs> way to go. And, and the, and, and <laughs> just having this great career. Lots of stuff going on on the road. Maybe some more worse gigs to come in the future. We don't oh. know. Fingers crossed. Oh, always, baby. I'm probably, I'm probably getting ready to do one this weekend. Well, look, if you're, you're, I know you actually live right around the, the block from the studio. Yeah. You are going to be moving shortly. So the last words we want to say to you, get home safe. God bless you. Worst gig ever. ever.